Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here with Phil Goldfeder. <laughs> coming to you from beautiful downtown Cedars, New York, from Central Perk, uh, where I'm having iced coffee and uh, Phil's having hot coffee. So I'm not sure what that says about the Democratic-Republican divide. I'm also having uh, a delicious corn muffin, so uh, <laughs> it doesn't bode well for you. And thank you here for much for hosting us here for another Thursday morning of political talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And uh, Phil... And another what a week it's been. I mean, even since last Thursday afternoon with the press conference to end all press conferences, I'll have to call that. I mean, it certainly hopefully will not be the last press conference because it was just great. It, it was it was great. I mean, well, it was great from a from a general perspective. It was great from a uh, from just a, a Trumpian perspective, from a theater perspective. And it was just great also from a Jewish perspective. You know, interestingly <laughs> enough, before we get into it, you know, it's you talk about setting the standard and setting the bar, right? The first three weeks that the president was in office were just, I believe, were just so riddled with problems. This week, by contrast, not as bad. Now, I'm not saying it was good. I'm, I'm saying is that by contrast of the blunder after blunder after week after week, this week, you know, mistakes, Things are going wrong, but you're actually, it's not terrible. It's not terrible, actually. I mean, you look at what has happened since last Thursday, and everybody said, oh, this press conference, it's a disaster. It's blown up. It means that the whole thing is over. He doesn't have his national security advisor. There's Russia questions. There's this. Everything is going on. It's all imploding. It's going to be over, and he's going to resign within two weeks. Well, guess what? Since then, he did a very uh, significant rally in Florida and, you know, showed that. Now, there's a lot of things he said at that rally that would make uh, a, lot of pe- a lot of people uncomfortable, but that's the, that's the Trump way. But he also appointed a very respected, even after his first pick for national security advisor turned him down, he appointed General H.R. McMaster. Uh, Trump loves the generals. Uh, and uh, he appointed him as national security advisor. He seems to now have righted a little bit his national security team. Uh, the leaks have kind of not been so bad over the past week. I know we're judging like day by day. The yeah. tweets haven't been so bad. He went to the Museum of Black History uh, and uh, this and gave and not only that managed to now give a statement saying that anti-Semitism is bad. And I you know when politicians go out on a limb like that and say anti-Semitism is bad and show that type of political courage, it needs to be applauded. Um, you know, Michael, I'm going to take an interesting, an interesting uh, sort of view here. I actually give the president a bit of credit. I think that was me giving him credit. <laughs> I'm going to give him even more credit, and I'll tell you the reason is is that I think in his mind, and, and maybe I, you know, this is I haven't talked to him, so I, I can't tell you. In his mind, he's he's thinking that. We live in the United States. He didn't, whether he didn't feel it, he didn't see it, he didn't understand sort of the level uh, of anti-Semitism or the rise of anti-Semitism. And I think once he was made aware of it and once it was sort of put in his face, it doesn't matter how it gets there, but once it is sort of put in front of him, he then addressed it. And I think that's important. Now, you say, you can ask the question, well, how come we didn't do it with the, uh, with the statement on Holocaust remembrance and, and, and so many other things? But I think that facing the, the fact that there is a rise in anti-Semitism, I think he's actually come out and, and addressed it. I mean, his response, his response at the press conference was, was just, you know, Trump, I don't know, Trump is, it was a, a true Trumpism. You know, I am the least anti-Semitic person you'll ever meet, right? That was his response, but I think... Which, of course, was not the question. Which was not the question, but I think, again, it was for him, at least, I think for me, 
this was the first time where he recognized that he was, may have been going down the wrong path, may have been saying the wrong things. He got the right information and then ultimately came out with a statement, which I thought was very, very good, um, which is different than what we've seen so far. Remember, our, our biggest challenge with uh, the statement on Holocaust Remembrance was not that he forgot, because I think Americans are very forgiving. Um, and so it wasn't that he forgot. It was that the next day when he was called on it, he doubled down. And then when he continued to get called well, on, they it, he tripled down. down. Right. Well, and so here you're seeing the opposite. Here you're seeing the president basically you know, poo-pooing the problem. It's not really a problem during the press conference, only for a few days later, I think on Tuesday, the day after President's Day, for him to come out with a, a pretty good statement, uh, essentially condemning anti-Semitism and, and, making, you know, and, and sort of pledging to, to stand with uh, every single American. Well, the issue, I actually thought that the president's statement on anti-Semitism seemed, even though he didn't do it in his typical uh, bombastic fashion, he did it in a more understated fashion, reading from notes. Number one, you see the influence of Ivanka, because she was the... She pre. I mean, everybody was saying, "Why don't you do it? It's an easy. It's a softball." I mean, we both worked for elected officials. You were an elected official. I am an elected. How do you not? You don't. If something happens, you condemn it. It's very simple. You see a swastika, you know, there. You say this is a deplorable. This is unacceptable. But he resisted that. But then Ivanka comes out with the tweet and says, "Bad." And then she. And then all of a sudden, the president is making a statement there. And you know, I the one. There are two things that kind of bothered me about the whole thing. It's number one is kind of is the personalizing it every time you ask a question that's critical of the president he or that's critical of the administration it's a personal thing which of course it's not he has to divorce himself from the idea that everything is about him personally but number two which is i think more significant of the of the issue here is the idea that well i can't be anti-semitic because i have a jewish relative I, I that bothers me to no end. Okay, that bothers me to no end. I, you know what? I can't be anti-Semitic because I support the state of Israel. Um, you know, I, I watched Rick Santorum on CNN. I, you know, and I tweeted tweeted this, and I Rick Santorum. I, I, I big fan of Rick Santorum. Always have been since he's been the Senate. One, you know, pro-Israel Star Wars, and he basically used the fact that the Trump administration is so pro-Israel. And said, well, they don't have to worry about the anti-Semitism issue. You don't have to make a statement, which I was just, my jaw really literally dropped. I mean, he basically said, well, they're pro-Israel, so it doesn't matter. And there's, this seems to be the idea that you can cover up from anti-Semitism. You can cover up from turning over gravestones into desecrating and bomb threats in the JCCs because we're pro-Israel and that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Look, there's, this also, I mean, there's a fundamental difference between pro-Israel and, and against anti-Semitism anti-Semitic attacks on Jewish people. There's a fundamental difference here, but there is a point of view where people say, well, look, you know, they're, they're not going to question my allegiance to the Jewish people or my allegiance to, to my Jewish constituents because they know how close I am with the Jewish people, and so maybe it doesn't have to be said. You know, again, I don't know. I wasn't in Trump's head, and I don't know what he's thinking, but I can understand that he's, in his mind, thinking they're not going to dare question my allegiance to the Jewish people or to, to you know, potentially support acts of anti-Semitism anywhere in this country. And so, like, do I really need to say it? Sometimes saying things cheapens it, right? You know, it's actually going to cheapen it a bit because, like, okay, I'll come out and say it, but, like, it's silly that I have to say it. Well, there is that school of thought that I don't have to respond to everything. I'm not responsible for everything, not everything that happens. But the truth is, look, you're the president of the United States, okay? Did Barack Obama have to respond to the Black Lives Matter movement? Did he have to go ahead and talk about... 
racism. He avoided it for a long time. I'm not saying that the, the president, that by virtue of being president or by virtue of being Donald Trump, owns the upswing in anti-Semitism, but it should be something of concern. And when you're asked about it, I'm not saying you have to volunteer it. I'm not saying you have to go. But if you're asked about it, and it's a legitimate concern, it should have been. Look, there was a suppress conference from with the Prime Minister of Israel. There were Jewish and Israeli reporters in the, this is the first question, okay, in the audience. It's kind of obvious, and your staff should be aware that this is going to be a question and that this is going to happen. And when that comes, when that pitch comes, just like with anything, you should be looking for the pitch and you should be hitting it out of the ballpark because it's an easy pitch. It's a yeah, meatball. And, and his response to the question at the press conference with uh, with Prime Minister Netanyahu was, was, I won 306 electoral votes. No, no, that no. no, was, no. That was, that and, was and his response. And then he pointed to my daughter is Jewish and my son-in-law right. is Jewish. And, and he pointed to them sitting right in the front row, which is basically saying, like, yeah, I get it. I understand. I have a deep connection to the Jewish people, and I understand. He said that without getting it, without actually saying it. <laughs> I mean, he said it, but he didn't. Well, know, this is odd. It. I'm defending, and you're not. No, I, I look. I think it's. I think it's a problem overall. It's not. I don't think it's a problem just with. with yeah, no, I, I think. I think. It, look, I think this has become a problem on the right. I think this is a problem in the conservative movement right now. I think there is a this idea, and I think it comes from a kind of the idea that the left has become so anti-Israel. And therefore, or the far left, I don't want to say the, uh, so the far left has become anti-Israel. And then the, so the far right has become, the right has become pro-Israel. And, you know, and correctly point out that I believe that the evangelical movement is the bedrock of American support for Israel. Not necessarily, not together with American Jews, but probably even more so in many, in many respects. I mean, I think that that is why the U.S. Congress is so uh, strongly pro-Israel. But... At the same time, then they look at the left and they say, "Okay, there's anti-Semitism left. There's BDS. There's all this, all, all this, and and therefore, okay, we can be pro-Israel, and therefore we can also tolerate some bigotry." And I truthfully don't understand why the conservative movement just uh, over. Or, I'm sorry, conservatives. Right now, Republicans, conservatives. You want to conflate, conflate the two? I don't understand why we have to tolerate bigotry at all. Um, you know, I know. Some people think it's good politics. I mean, I'll just say the things that are said in inside in the inner sanctum when these things are. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I, it might be good politics for certain people. There is a certain political aspect to xenophobia and, nat- and nativism. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people in the Jewish community, particularly the Orthodox community, should start understanding that that's a dangerous trend. And that's not a trend that should be embraced. And don't just go ahead and say, hey, they're pro-Israel, so therefore... They have our back because a lot of these people do not have your back. Yeah, no, I look, I, I agree with that. I, I sadly, you're seeing it. You're seeing it really on both sides, and, and and things are changing. Look, it's not politics as usual. The president loves to say that it's not politics as usual, and so you and I, as seasoned politicians, you know, say like, hey, this is a softball. You know, this president is clearly doing things a bit I different. I said meatball, but you can say softball. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so. If we can, just going back to this press conference for a moment, yes. you know, and I, I know we, we well, let's talk about Jake Turks for a second. That sure. was okay. So go back to the press conference. And so he asked a question. He asked about this question, and and but let's let you know, sort of let's use that as a. This was a topsy turvy press conference. Now I I happened to be in front of my computer during the press conference, so I actually caught most of it, um, which is very rare. Seventy seven minutes. It was very, which, <laughs> which is a record for any pre- presidential press conference. And, and as you know, I, I work at Yeshiva University, so don't tell my bosses and uh, my new bosses that uh, I watched the press conference. I'm just upset you don't have a TV in your office. Not yet, not yet. It's something. If you're me. listening out there, gentlemen, 
it's, it's time for some perks for the office here. <laughs> One step at a time, time, baby step. Have they let Mr. Vice President, Assistant Vice President Goldfeder out of the closet yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy. They're treating me very, very well. Okay. Uh, President Joel is... Uh, Do you have a window? I have a beautiful window okay. overlooking uh, the Bronx and, uh, and northern Manhattan. It's just fantastic. Oh, very nice. Um, but still no TV. But one step Belfort at a time. Hall being the highest point in Manhattan. Belfort uh, Hall being the highest point out. of Manhattan. Absolutely correct. They're higher than, again, you think about the tallest buildings of Manhattan. Belfort Hall is, is higher. Um, an interesting press conference. I mean, I'm not sure how to characterize it. And I think it's what we're going to start hearing a lot, right? It was Trump being Trump, right? It was not prepared answers. It was not canned answers. It was not... You know, sort of avoiding questions. It, I mean, it was avoiding questions, but not in the way we're used to seeing it from uh, from elected officials. I mean, it was essentially a, a just a, a back and forth between the reporters and the press corps and the president. I mean, it was just a topsy turvy, interesting exchanges. You know, one after the next, and it kind of seemed. You know, there's a certain respect that that you give to a president, right? Especially at one of these press conferences. There's a certain you know. I don't know how, how to, the best way to word it, but, but this press conference sort of put all that away. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. The reporters tried, to their credit, they tried. They, to be, I thought they were respectful. They were calm, and they, you know, sort of, even the way in which the answers were coming out, uh, they, some arguably would say, in their right to sort of give a little stronger responses, but they didn't, and, uh, and they sort of held their own. But this was essentially the president going on in over an hour sort of tirade which just seemed defensive out of the box i mean literally defensive out of the box it wasn't about answering questions about policy or about positions or about your government and so on and so forth but just complete defense mode like every question they ask is going to undermine what i'm doing and who i am and me and so i've got to go back and call them fake and call them lying and and to say they're dishonest and and essentially everything we've seen so far here michael here's the question right why are we surprised at this point you know what is it that we're surprised about and so which well, oh i think the i think what the surprise of with regard to the press conference was that the assumption that is was that trump was on the run and he was hiding and i think that the president kind of showed that he's not hiding and he's not and he is willing to dish it out as well as yeah and and really very little of what's being said out there is is affecting him. It had to, well, look, it didn't affect him he during the campaign. He does, it's not right. going to affect he him now. He doesn't care what the Washington intelligentsia says. He doesn't care about the reports of chaos and everything in his administration. He doesn't care about the fact that Flynn was forced to resign. He just brushed everything off, and he was... And ba- said nothing. You know, this idea of, like, oh, I'm transparent. I'm going to stand in front of you for the... Lo-, and he'll say it, by the way. Okay. The longest press conference ever held in presidential history, and I did it, right? And said nothing. Well, that's... It's the press's job to make it sure, and it's our job to kind of talk about it. I mean, that's... That's what we're sitting here doing. But the, you know, there's two highlights for me there, okay? And we'll talk, I, we'll get to Jake Turks in a second. But the, the biggest highlight for me was the, or, or indicative of saying, actually saying nothing, was when he claimed the largest electoral victory, uh, electoral college victory since Reagan, which of course was patently false. And then he says, well, I meant, and then he was challenged, he says, well, I meant Republican. And then he said, Oh, I didn't remember. Well, somebody put this in front of me. I don't know. Whatever. Somebody put it in front of me. So I heard it. And I heard it reported out there. But it's a pretty brief victory. And they said, you're the president or something like that. He's already and won. It, Maybe he doesn't <laughs> realize he's already won. I, it's it's incredible that it still goes back there. But the fact is, like, somebody just put this in front of me. It's like, it's, like with, it's like with the Sweden thing. 
right? Okay, so so you're at jumping the, around now, you're at jumping. the no, no, but I, it's there's there's a trend here, and I think that you know there's a trend here because you know we know people out there who are commenting on the show and they want to talk about criticizing that you know this this fake news, right? We're making up news because we only follow what the mainstream media says, and we should be following all these crazy websites that say all these. But the ideally, the president of the United States should have more information than anybody else on earth or say he sorry he has access to more information than anybody else on earth he has more access to more information than any trader on any trading floor okay with regard to statistics and labor statistics and security and risk profiles everything going on in every country in the world and every place of the world he has the ability to get that information yet when he goes before the cameras for some reason he wants to talk about things that were put in front of him or something he saw on cable news it, it, it's it's, it's it, it, which which it creates this environment and then people see this and say well I, it was reported and the president talked about it and therefore that enters the mainstream and the way now look there's a lot of ideas out there and i agree with the premise that a lot of the media are not conservatives i'm i lean to the right i'm not going to be best i you know i don't think that most many journalists out there share my political views but at the same time i do respect the work and the verification and the vetting and the fact checking that goes in to these stories that you see in the Washington Post and the New York Times and Politico and various outlets and the Wall Street Journal and yet at the same time everybody there are a lot of people out there who want to put kind of Breitbart news on the same level and Breitbart news does not go ahead and verify their and just having and even Fox News which is which you know even after the I mean, I remember I was watching Fox News when I watched the press conference, and the anchor was, she was just like, okay. And it's just <laughs> like, it was just, it was just like, I don't know what we just watched there. But the idea that the, these things just come into the mainstream, that the president can get up there and say whatever he wants, yes, he's entitled to. But at the same time, we're also entitled to say, huh? And, and in addition, you know, he's, in addition to that, I think he's trying to, very hard to control the message. This idea, number one, that this government is a well-oiled machine, it's it's running better than any government that's ever run in the history of governments, right? It's just simply not true, right? It's not believable to... Well, that could news, be his opinion. Right? Number two is to say, well, my cabinet, you know, how am I expect, expected to work if I don't have a cabinet in place? And this has been the longest any government has gone without a cabinet, which is also not true right right president bush and president obama went, went went longer without cabinets now i'm not saying we won't get there right but that also has has uh, is a little indicative of who your who your picks were for cabinet members and, right and their ability and, and and the desire of the senate to question to question them as as emphatically and as you know as they can and absolutely so, as they as they should and he didn't and it was actually the same day that he was nominating a labor secretary right to replace one that had not that had dropped had not been, and let's right. recall so, we so, talked about this last it, week it's a, it hadn't been vetted the basic vetting correct. you do a google search on correct. a guy and you're going to get the basic information correct now Jake Turks for a second because I know that this has somehow dominated the orthodox community's news waves everybody's like well it's a terrible question I can't believe he asked the Hasidic guy has to ask about anti-semitism what's wrong with the Jewish guy doesn't he know to be respectful shouldn't he try and be more mainstream shouldn't he try and be ask a question about unemployment right I mean, come on I mean I, you know I I, I Please. So I don't He's, have I don't have an issue with the, the question that he asked. I give him credit for standing up and having the courage to stand there. By the way, dressing the way you know, dressing I've, as a from Jew and not being afraid or, or shy about it. I've always prided myself wherever I went, whether it was Washington or Albany, and I wore my yarmulke. And, and you know, you carry yourself as a Jewish person. So I don't have any any 
question about that and his, his desire to ask that question. I do think that you could have asked that question much quicker and, and simpler. I, there's no question about well, that. We, we I, all know that everybody at any Jewish event, whether it's firm or not firm, whatever, always likes to say, I have a question, but I want to make a statement first. Yeah, so he, he could have said, you know, <laughs> Mr. President, given the, the, the clear rise in anti-Semitism, do you have any statement or, or are you take, making any plans or, or putting anything in place to sort of to deal with this and reassure the Jewish people that they're going to be safe, right? That, it's a question that, that could be asked in 12 seconds. And again, I, you know, he's, I know that, that Mr. Turks has a long relationship with the president. He was on the campaign trail. He's been following for a long time. He's been a part of these press conferences for a long time. He has access that I think no Jewish publication has ever had in the history of, of, of the government. And so I give him a lot of credit, but look, like, like any Orthodox Jew in politics, you know, we're being watched and we're being judged for everything that we're doing on a daily basis. So especially when you're on national television and you're on television and you're asking the President of the United States a question, I think it's important that, that you do it as succinctly and as clearly as possible as to not make yourself the story, right? Yourself is not the story. The fact that... Well, he only became the story because of the response. I don't think if he would have been a straightforward situation, I don't think there would have been much of a story. I'm not sure he would have gotten that response if not for the you know the question. Remember, the, the president... Well, remember, first, he was looking for a friendly person. Remember, that was like a whole thing. So let's get a friendly question. Okay, let's pick on the Hasidic guy here because he's going to ask me a friendly question. And then, it was, then, then he basically said, okay, we don't think you're an anti-Semite. And the president, and then he says, asks the question about anti-Semitic incidents. And the president responds, "I'm the least anti-Semitic person you'll ever meet." I think what what frustrated the president was the length of the question, right? And that's why he basically <laughs> said, "Like, oh, he wanted to ask just an easy question, or a simple question, or a short question. It wasn't any of those uh, things." Correct, correct. And I think that's what frustrated the president. Whether, by the way, let's be clear, that should not have frustrated the president, and he should not have responded the way he did. And so. This is a little bit of everybody sort of piling on to make the situation much bigger than it should have been. Right. And ultimately, by the way, and to be clear, ultimately the president came out with a statement well, on Tuesday. And that's something to be Well, commended. perhaps it will be diffused. But uh, this is Spin Class here with Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder coming to you from Central Perk in downtown Cedarhurst, New York, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And we are talking politics. And, the, you know, the one thing I, I do feel that it's necessary to kind of just talk for one second because there's two big events so we're going to transition for a second there's two big events but one of them i think i just want to give a theme that we kind of covered but two big events this weekend number one is the dnc winter meeting which at which a new chairman or chairwoman possibly will be elected and as well as cpac the conservative political action conference and both are getting huge headlines uh i'll go with cpac first because that's my domain and uh, CPAC is getting huge headlines for the invitation to Milo Yiannopoulos, a provocateur, uh, as a, their invitation to him be the keynote speaker, even though the president is coming to speak there. <laughs> and, but Milo Yiannopoulos was the... Uh, and well, well, I'll just get to that shocking idea. Yeah, I've been to CPAC a couple times. Uh, it's a very interesting... If you're, if you're from New York and you're kind of in the New York bubble if you will and you can go to dc and be in the dc bubble cpac is not that it's a totally different world uh it is a lot of middle america and a lot of and you see the difference between and you see the a, a very significant amount of activism from a lot of people in uh, uh gun rights and just all let's let's put it this way there's it's it's a very interesting place to go just to see what a lot of america is like and you can actually see when you go to a place like cpac 
the roots of Donald Trump's victory or surprise victory. I will put it that way. But they in, they invited this Yiannopoulos, who was who was until uh, this week the editor an editor of Breitbart News, a provocateur, and they invited. Even though really the guy's not conservative. I mean he's he's gay. He is. I mean, but he just he makes a point of thumbing his nose at political correctness and going ahead and pumping his nose at the left and goes around college campuses and talks about, and you know, he's a free speech activist. You know, I could say as outrageous things that he insults everybody and he's made many anti-Semitic statements. And the idea that CPAC invited him to be a speaker when he's not really conservative ruffled a lot of fetters amongst conservatives. There were a lot of people on emails and chats that I'm on who really felt that this guy, I mean, this is not what we represent. And a little bit it represents Trumpism in the sense that, well, the political correctness, and I think that's actually a big theme of kind of America or a lot of America fighting back against political correctness. They don't want to be told what to think or what to do by the coastal elites and what I could say and what they can't say. And my one perhaps was like this, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, icon of that. But I think it was actually ridiculous. I think I'm so, I, I can't, I'm glad the whole thing blew up. I'm glad the fact that because he does not belong in polite company. And there is no big tent for anti-Semitism. There is no big tent for big bigotry. You don't say, hey, you know, let's have a whole bunch of people they can go and present their views and we'll decide. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. That's just awful. And that really is, uh, but there is this idea on the right more and more that we'll, we'll thumb our nose at the elites. You know, it's class warfare. We'll just throw it. And we'll thumb our nose at the elites, and therefore that'll be uh, that that will be conservative. Yeah, look, I I not my place to comment on this. Uh, I think on the Democratic side, we've got our own troubles lying ahead. You know, yes, big weekend coming up. Big weekend. Uh, I think it's three hundred and some. Four forty-seven. Four forty-seven. Four hundred forty-seven electors on the DN Democratic National uh, Committee who will elect the next chairman. Four hundred uh, Democrats, and they're not any. There's no rhyme or reason. They're picked by their state parties. They're not necessarily members of Congress. They could be anybody. Um, from across the country who are getting together to, uh, I think, in Atlanta to, uh, to choose the next chairman and, I think, five vice chairmen. Uh, we actually have two New Yorkers who are running for vice chair of the DNC, one which is no stranger to the Jewish community, uh, Congresswoman Grace Meng, who I think is, is fantastic. I mean, she literally, as a freshman member, stood up to the Democratic Party, stood up to President Obama uh, when it came to voting on the Iran deal. She was... One of the first, together with our, our very own Kathleen Rice, Congresswoman Kathleen Rice, who came out against the Democratic president. I think that sends a strong message that this is a Democratic party, right? And she is a candidate that shows a Democratic party that is willing to buck the trends and buck the, the sort of the, the party as a whole to do what you ultimately think is right. And I think that's where the Democratic party needs to be. I mean, there is a very big fear, I think especially amongst Jews, um, that the Democratic Party continues to, to move away and, and, and they allow the liberal left, the left most leaning... Activist left. Activist left, right? To control the mainstream party and, and sort of takes away the party and ultimately could damage the Democratic Party for years and years to come. And you have people who are running like Keith Ellison, who I think is, is, would be the single worst thing that ever happened to the Democratic Party, particularly for... Wow. For, yeah, look... He, he, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you feel. I, I, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a debate uh, where he is and, and some of the things he said and the people he's aligned himself with over the years. I mean, you know, he has a record. He, he has a record on issues of, of, of the state of Israel, on, on, on the Jewish people, and he has a record. And, and quite frankly, I think it is an embarrassment for the Democratic National uh, Committee to even 
consider him. And the fact that he's a front runner is scary for me as a Democrat because that's not the Democratic Party I stand for. I stand for a Democratic Party that, that has a big umbrella and a big tent, that we're willing to, 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 to allow people in, to work with people from every end of the spectrum. Right now, as you know and our listeners know, as I tend to be a, a bit more of a conservative Democrat, a, a right-leaning Democrat, but there should be a place for me in the Democratic Party. And I don't think there's a place for me in the Democratic Party with uh, somebody like Keith Ellison as the chair. Um, and number two, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my old, my former colleague in the New York State Assembly, Michael Blake, who is also running. Um, and while he has... And he made some interesting news this week. And he did make some interesting news. Uh, again, not sure if it w- what was real and what was truthful and what wasn't. But, but without getting into that, you know, Michael is someone who's proven in his ability to work on both sides of the aisle and, and, and bring dynamic Former people White together. Former White House staffer, correct. Former White House staffer, but also someone who, who's not caving to the pressure and just because it was the, the thing to do didn't get behind Keith Ellison. Um, and he probably got, and he got pressure to go as, again, a former White House staffer, got pressure to go, go another way, and, and he chose not to. And so I think he's trying to show that he's independent. He's not going to follow uh, the Democratic Party that is prescribed by people on the far left. And I think it's going to make for a very interesting weekend. Um, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I, I, I will say this, is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid if Keith Ellison becomes the chair, it's, it's a scary prospect for the future of the Democratic Party. And I just want to point and does, I, But does anybody really know who the chair is? I mean, let's, let me just push back for a second. I mean, does it really matter? Right. I mean, who who's the who? When you think about who's the leading Democrat now in the United in in the United States, probably Chuck Schumer, right? I mean, he's the most powerful Democrat. The yep. you know, I'm not saying he's a he might not be the strongest voice, if you will, for some of the party. Somebody might people might say Bernie Sanders has a bigger pulpit or Elizabeth Warren, but that'll fade as the campaign kind of you know goes into memory. You know, Joe Biden's trying to make himself still relevant. Um, we haven't really heard from Hillary Clinton very much, but. I don't know that Keith Ellison is necessarily the household name. I mean, that's the party machinery. Does it really matter? Yeah, it matters even more, right? Oh, it does. Okay. I think it matters even more, right? It's not about the the face and the the facade. It's about what's the working. It's about the brain, right? It's about, like, the inner workings of the Democratic Party and who they're willing to work with and and the message they're going to put out there. And quite frankly, I don't think Keith Ellison is that person. And and, and I want to say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about... Uh, Mayor de Blasio uh, speaking about Keith Ellison and and, making, and writing an op-ed for him and making a statement that Keith Ellison, who's a strong supporter of an Israel and a friend of the Jews, that is just simply not true. Right. It just was a blatantly, patently false statement that, for some reason, the mayor again, because I think playing to the far left, felt the need to say, and I was a little bit disappointed. Again, I I, I have said this on the show. I think the mayor's doing a good job and. And, and continues to, to sort of have my... But he my, still has this idea that he needs to lead the progressive wing of the party, and that's... Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, we got to wrap it up this week here on Spin Class, here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the Sea. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, full credit has to go to uh, former Assemblyman Goldfeder for getting the White House Visitor's Office open. We talked about it two weeks on the show, and it will be open. Thanks for your bully pulpit there and making that happen here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for doing the city speaks with Allison Josephs.